Well, we believe that God wants all of us, heart, soul, mind, strength. Uh, he wants all of us from the tips of our heads to the bottoms of our toes. And that's really what this series has been about. Uh, when we talk about getting fit, we're talking about giving our whole lives to God. And today we just want to get really practical uh, as we talk about our banks. Ugh. If you didn't know the topic for today, you might, I mean, maybe you were like, well, I wish I would have avoided today, but, but God says a lot about money. You, I mean, you just look all through the scriptures, and God talks a lot about it, and it's a big part of us. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so there's this connection between heart and our bank account, what we think of money, how we deal with our money. And Brian Buffini rightly points out, that people often do one of two things. Uh, Many people avoid money altogether. Now, they may not want to avoid money altogether, but they do. For instance, my friend who once told me, uh, he said, I I quit my job because they weren't giving me enough hours. And I I was like, well, no, wait. Do you have another job? No. So you, you wanted more hours, so you quit the only hours of pay you got? I don't understand that mathematics. And the truth is, my friend just struggled with poverty uh, for much of his life. And he continued to do things in kind of in this spiral of almost avoiding money. Make him a bad person. It sure brought a lot, about a lot of struggles. And the truth is that many of us have done things kind of similar. We've done foolish things with, with money. We, we, we said yes to that telephone call that tried to lure us in, or one time, several years ago, I bought some steaks from one of those scary vans that drives around the neighborhood. You know, we ate one of them, and then we threw the rest away, and I looked them up online, and like, never buy steaks from this company. I was like, oh, gosh. Well, we all do some things that make it look like we're just trying to avoid money, but there's also a lot of folks who worship it. Many people avoid it, but many people worship it. You know, in most parts of the world, the, the word almighty is only used to describe God. Yet here in America, we have the almighty dollar. What should that tell you? That maybe we have a little issue here with worshiping money, even putting a, a word that only belongs in front of God, in front of money. And so we have this problem uh, there was a soccer player named Georgie Best who played for Manchester United, which if you know much about soccer, that's the team you want to play for. In Europe, that's uh, the team that's won many, many times. And Best was one of these teenage phenoms that could do anything with the soccer ball. And so he signed this big lucrative contract, even though he was very, very young. And you know how that, this works out sometimes for young athletes professionals, all of a sudden, they have all of this money, all of this power, and it completely ruined him. He flamed out, lost it all, became an alcoholic, and he said this, I spent my money back then on booze, women, and fast cars, and the rest I just squandered. (laughs) It did not work out so well for best, and the truth is that money is like fire. You can use it to warm your home, but it can also burn your house to the ground. It all depends on how it's managed. Money can be a great blessing 
or a great curse. First Timothy 6 talks about this. It says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Did you hear? If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That is Paul saying, here's the Christian doctrine on money. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Are you content with that? Just having enough? But there's a danger, Paul knew, in always wanting more. So he goes on. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here's this phrase that you've probably heard before. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root of all evil. That would be Satan. But it's a root of lots of evil. And it's not money that is the evil. It's the love of money that, that plunges people into ruin. I mean, you think about it. Think of all the cheating that has happened. And you read kind of corporate cheating scandals. Love of money. Jealousy. Stealing. Oppression. Slavery. Murder. Entire wars have been fought because of somebody had the love of money. And it became a trap and a temptation and this desire that destroyed them. Money can lead uh, and lure a family into crisis. It can destroy school systems and entire countries. But money can also resource churches and food banks. Money can lead to violence and murder. But it can also fund compassion and justice efforts around the world. And God speaks a lot about it. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to Deuteronomy 26. And today, we want to study a passage uh, that says a lot about money to us. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you of a principle that we teach, and we teach quite often here at Highland Park. And it's, it's fairly simple. Uh, it's just kind of a basic biblical plan for how you manage your money. And it goes like this. When you get paid, or... Students get an allowance or chore money. Um, however you earn any, com- in- any income, the biblical plan for money seems to be fairly simple. It's you give first, you save second, and you live off the rest, which means you've got to figure out how to make this work for you. That just seems to be the biblically wise and right way to live with money. It could be with what I've got here, you know, a couple $5 bills, that you get, or it could be if you make a million dollars a year, the principle is the exact same. That you give first, you save next, you live off the rest. You give your kid $10 for allowance for doing the dishes for a month, then you ought to give that kid three envelopes or three jars or three buckets and say, hey, take the first and put it in the give bucket. You're going to give that on Sunday. Take the next and put that in the save because you're going to need to save some money for the future. And the rest... You got to figure out how to live on that. So if you want to buy pizza, you know, with your friends or whatever, you got that there. And if we just follow that principle, uh, things with money go better. And today I just really want to focus on that first one of giving first and to see what the text has to say. So God was giving instructions to the Israelites, teaching them uh, how to give and live generously. And so Genesis chapter 26, begin in verse 1. Here we go. God says, when you have entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and take possession of it and settled in it. 
Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering uh, Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression." So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, in the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levites, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied." There's three principles we learn from this passage about the idea of giving first, get, that when we give, we are to give sacrificially, give joyfully, and give graciously. That first idea of giving sacrificially is the idea of giving your first fruits. So imagine at the time, if you were an Israelite, you were a farmer, and you had a harvest, and the harvest would come in at different times of the year. But if your harvest came in, then the instructions from the Lord are this. You go and... Uh, You begin to see how your crops came in and you uh, take that basket and you don't go put it in your barn. That's where the rest of it's going. But you go and you just march it right to the place where you are to give your offering to the Lord. That's giving your first fruit. That's not how we typically do it, is it? We fill the barn with all of, you know, the harvest, all of the money, all of the paycheck, And then we stand back and we kind of look at it. And then we think, well, I can kind of do without that. And we take that and give it to the Lord, right? But God says, "Uh uh-uh, you give your first fruits. You give the first from the harvest. In fact, you give and you may not even know how much the rest of the harvest is going to yield, but you still take what is first, primary, because I want first place in your heart. So you give first to me. That's the principle. And we tend to look at a paycheck and say, what is the surplus? Surplus is kind of a positive word, but there's another word for that. Leftover. That's kind of how we look at it. Now, I like leftovers. I'm a fan for two reasons. Number one, spaghetti is always better warmed up the next day, right? Are you with me? Um, Mix us all in. I really like leftovers because it's like the easy lunch the next day, right? We're like, yes, there's leftovers, and now I have to fight my children over them, and I'm kind of bitter about how they usually get the leftovers, and I don't. Um, that's a whole other problem in my life. And so I kind of like those leftovers, but if I invited your friends over for dinner, for a special dinner, I would never serve you leftovers. That would be rude. 
you would be offended because I had not given you my best. And God says, you give me your best, the first fruits, not the leftover crumbs of your budget, not what you can do without. In fact, God says you give sacrificially, and that means you give in such a way that your lifestyle has to be altered. If, you're, if you are giving in a way that doesn't change anything about your life, you're not giving sacrificially. It, it's just not what the word means. But to give sacrificially means something else has to go in life. That I'm going to give, and it's going to make a difference in how I live how I plan the rest of my life, that is giving sacrificially. Are you enjoying the sermon so far? (laughs) But here's the thing. God's word is always good for us. We believe that. And so even while I'm saying this and you're like, man, that kind of hurts. But even when it hurts, it's always good. My parents told me the story of a friend of theirs from church is in their small group and Uh, years ago, she was married and had two tiny little kids when her husband uh, just left and ran off and she was left desperate. Uh, She had no college education. She she didn't have a job. She was staying home with the two little kids, so she had no way to earn income. And, I mean, life overwhelmed her in a hurry. And she was to the point of poverty where in her cabinet she hardly had anything. But her phone rang, and she answered it, and it was a friend telling her about a mutual friend who had been diagnosed with cancer and was in a really bad place physically and who had some kids who needed fed. And her friend said on the phone, Hey, uh, I'm just trying to get some people to make meals and take over to this person's house. Can Can you take a meal over to their family tonight? And she said, Yes, I will. And she hung up the phone, and she thought, I just said yes. And she looked in her cabinet again. She had a can of green beans and a couple of other just random things, but but not a meal. And so she felt terrible, but she did what she could. She kind of threw some stuff together and made up a recipe, not something that she would have ever wanted to serve a guest or take to somebody. But she just had nothing else, and she had zero dollars And so she could have called back and said, I'm not going to do anything. I I can't afford it. But she just felt like she had said yes. God had prompted her to say yes. And so she put together this meal that was kind of strange. And she went to her friend's house with cancer. And the lady's little boy ran out and said, what are we having for dinner? She's like, "Uh, whatever this is, whatever you want to call it. And she gave it to them. God provided a meal for her and her family that night and the next night and the next night. And years later, now that as she tells this story, God provided for her and her family every week. And now she's had years and years of this successful career. She went back to college and she worked her tail off. And God used... Um, his provisions for her. Uh, her son is now the athletic director of a, of a high school and doing well, and there's all these blessings in her life. But she looks back to that moment when she gave sacrificially. And you can think, man, that must have really hurt. But if you talked to her today and said, would you trade that experience for anything? What do you think she'd say? No way. 
No way would she trade the experience of giving whatever that, those canned goods were in her cabinet, the very last of what she had, to her friend in need. Because God taught her so much about giving sacrificially. So we give sacrificially. That's principle one from this text. And the second is we give joyfully. Those two don't seem to go together sometimes, but they go right together. God said, remember how I've provided for you. He even gave them the text to kind of read and repeat back. And basically, as we were reading this, you we were like, hey, I, I, I know the story. Israelites uh, were enslaved in Egypt, and then God came and rescued them and gave them this great land. And so each time they are to give, they are to remember what God has done for them. It's a great idea for you every time you give to pause and think, what has God done for me? And when we do that, we begin to give joyfully. Now, suppose um, you had to give to something that did not make you joyful. For instance, if you had a friend who said, hey, I'm going to a concert next Friday. I I, I just don't want to go by myself. Would you please go with me? And you're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Who are you going to go watch? And your friend says, Vanilla Ice. Serious? We're going to that back theater at the casino? The only place he can get a show? And you're like, I can't believe I have a friend and his musical taste is the pasty guy who can't rap. And you're like, but I told my friend, I told my friend I would go, so I got to go. And you get online to find the ticket, and you pull it up, $100. And you're just like, cannot spend a hundred dollars on vanilla ice he only sang one song um and and you're just so frustrated and you pull out your credit card and you punch in the stupid numbers and you buy the stupid ticket for the stupid show and then you go listen to the the stupid music that you don't like and everything about it is just dumb and you're angry because you don't like it but what if what if instead your friend said we're going to watch B.B. King, and you love the blues. And you're like, yeah. And you go and you look it up, and you're like, it's only 100 bucks to see B.B. King, and I've always wanted to see him. Absolutely, I'll pay that. And, I, and I'll have to do my budget a little bit differently, but I'll just eat peanut butter for all of February, and it'll be fine. <laughs> but I'm going to that concert, and I love it, and I'm happy. And what's the difference between those two? It's the same money. It's still $100 for either show. The difference is your heart follows your treasure, and your treasure follows your heart. In fact, it's almost effortless. It's almost easy to give to stuff that you love, to spend money when you love something, to give when you really care for it. Money goes almost effortlessly to our heart's treasures. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? He came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to follow you, to have eternal life? And Jesus knew this guy. And Jesus wasn't trying to trick him or to trap him. Jesus was actually trying to save his life. Because Jesus knew that this guy had one big hang-up, that he worshipped money. Money was what mattered to him. And Jesus knew that that would destroy him. And Jesus said, here's what you need to do. You need to go sell all your stuff and your fancy toys and all your things that you worship and you need to sell them and then give the money to the poor. And the text says that he walked away downcast, saddened, grieving. 
Why did he walk away so unhappy? Because he was walking towards unhappiness. He knew it. None of his toys ever really made him joyful on the inside long term. I mean, they provided a little bit of temporary happiness, some excitement. But he walked away from eternal life for his stuff. But when we follow Christ, we can give joyfully. The church in Corinth says they gave joyfully out of their poverty. So even when they were poor, they gave and it gave them so much joy. We give and we love it because Christ owns our hearts. So we become happy givers. A test to know if you've experienced God's grace, a test to know if your faith is real, if your love is sure, is this. Is it fun to give sacrificially? Is it fun? Does it bring joy when you give to others? Whether it's money or help or whatever it might be, serving someone. My friend Steve Chapman up in Chicago said, financial stewardship in the New Testament is less about how much and more about how. There's something to be said just about how do you give. And, And Christ says it is to be with a joyful heart. So we give sacrificially, we give joyfully, and we give graciously. Did you catch verses 11 and 12? This command uh, to give to the foreigner, the widow, the fatherless, the orphan. I mean, this command is just all throughout scriptures. It's hard to open your Bible and turn two pages in either direction and not find some place where you read of God's heart for the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable, the person in need. God says, if you're out there and you've got all these religious ceremonies, but you are not giving to the poor and taking care of the needs of those and you have these unjust uh, systems in place, then your worship is nothing. God says it over and over really clearly. And so we are to give graciously, not hanging on tightly to what we have, but graciously. And when we see needs, we graciously give. You can almost hear the farmer hearing this and wanting to, to talk back and saying, no way, God, this harvest is mine because I worked for it, I own it, I deserve it. And then you can almost hear God saying, want to bet? Who gave you the land? Who made the land? You want to talk about who gave you the rain to water it? Who made the rain? Who gave you the sunshine? Who made the sun? You want to talk about that? Who made the soil? Who gave you the ability to have a strong enough back to work this last season? Who gave you the mind smart enough to figure out when you should plant and and how you should work the fields and how you should figure it all out and manage it? Who gave you that, Mr. Farmer? The farmer, if he's wise, would say, you did, God. You gave me every one of those things. And, And every basket of crop that I have, the harvest produced, belongs to you. That everything I have belongs to you. And I am just a steward the gifts that you've given me. I'm just to manage them. But they all belong to you, so i got to give back so that greed won't ruin me. Giving graciously acknowledges our dependence upon each other. When we hold on to everything, it's like we're independent and we don't need anybody else. But when we say, I need you, I need you, God, 
When we give to our church, there's a sense of that when we give, we ought not ever say, boy, the church really needs this check. Instead, boy, I really need the church. I really need God's people to encourage me. When we, when we give and you, many people bring canned goods for our food pantry, the, the thought should never be, boy, the food pantry really needs my groceries this week. Instead, boy, I sure do need the food pantry to care for the poor in our community. I sure do need the food pantry to carry out God's work here in this area. We give graciously because God is gracious with us. And you think about it, receiving God's grace is really the key to being generous and to having a right thought life about how we think about giving. Because if you think that you deserve salvation for all the good things you've done, why give? Huh? And if you think that you're way too bad, to ever be forgiven by God. Again, why give? But if you believe that God has rescued you from the hands of death, then suddenly giving becomes fun. Then suddenly you're like, yes, I want to give to you, Lord, because you have forgiven me. You've shown grace in my life. You've done more for me than I could have ever imagined and more than I ever deserved. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Thank you that I get to give as well because it is a joy to give. Our giving will always be limited unless we see how much God has given to us. That's just where we have to be. So God loved us and he gave his son for us. John three sixteen, And Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so even while we've been doing all of our stuff, Jesus was the one who still gave. Uh, Say that after me. Jesus still gave. Okay, I'm going to need you to repeat that, okay? We sinned, but we got prideful, but Jesus still gave. We got lazy and foolish. We were selfish. We were comfortable and greedy. Jesus just gave over and over and over and over. And there were times when he was hungry and he was abandoned by the people whom he loved most on this earth and cared for the most. And and they even left him and they denied him and they betrayed him. And then I've done the same. And you've done the same. And all... While Jesus kept giving and giving and giving and giving, and even today Jesus still gives to us because he cares for you. And if you think, boy, I deserve something, then the truth is that you are badly mistaken. That We don't deserve anything. Everything is a gift from God. And if you think, well, I've messed up, too, I've messed up so many things in my life that Jesus would never give anything to me, then you also are mistaken. Never underestimate the power of the cross, the bigness of the cross, because the cross was Christ's ultimate gift so that we could have eternal life. When Jesus died on the cross, that was our gift of salvation, that we could not earn our salvation, but he said, I will give myself so that you can be saved. Jesus keeps giving and giving And he's given to you. And that ought to be our theology and our doctrine of forgiving. And the reason that we ever give to anything is because Jesus gave his life for us. And that's worth celebrating. And this morning, 
if you've never received that gift, Jesus is offering it. He stepped out and handing it to us. And all we need to do is say, God, yes, I receive your gift. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But yes, God, I receive your gift. And if you would like to to learn about what it means to say yes to Jesus and to be baptized and to have your life go into the water symbolizing death and come up new, symbolizing new life in Christ, we would love to visit with you, pray with you, help you in that decision. If you would like prayer in your life, there'll be some folks up here on the front row during this next song, and then at the end of the service, we'd be glad to pray with you and talk with you. If you would, would you stand, and let's give thanks again for Christ giving to us. Lord, we say thank you for giving and giving and giving and giving, even when we were taking and messing it up and losing it and avoiding it or worshiping other things. And God, money can be a big trap. It's destroyed many of us at different times. Um, and Maybe we're on a path towards destruction. And God, uh, we want to get this money stuff right, not because it's all about money, but because it's all about you. And you want to be first place in our lives. So God, I thank you for your sacrifice and that you gave joyfully and graciously to us. And God, we want to give back to you. And so God, for anybody who has not said yes to you and received your good gift, I pray that today would be the beginning of a whole new journey for them. Regardless of their past, what they think about themselves, what other people have told them about themselves, God, you are good. And you love each person here, your own children. God, we thank you for your gift. In Jesus' name, amen.